Welcome to episode three of the Cinesnob podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. And uh, I just want to know, guys, have you both recovered? Have we, are, are all the tears finally finally over with after seeing a fault in our st- the fault in our stars? Yeah. Um, my eyes are still a little uh, you glazed look a, over. You, you look a little puffy this morning. Maybe uh, you should get some cucumber slices. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the Real Rundown, recapping this week in movie news. First up, the Wachowski siblings' new film, Jupiter Ascending, abruptly pushed back from its summer release to February 2015. Cody, what are the details? Well, uh, the movie was initially supposed to come out on July 18th, which is about six or seven weeks away. And it got pushed back to February 6, 2015. And, um, you know, according to the studio, it was because they didn't have time to complete the special effects work. And that's crap, because you look (laughs) at something like Maleficent, and those effects are clearly not as polished as they could be. So so this is, everybody suspects this is a total uh, vote of no confidence, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think you don't have to look any further than the fact that it's coming out in February. Uh, that is a you know dump, a you know traditional dumping ground for movies that uh, you know aren't going to be either they're not of high quality or they think they're going to be like a box office dud. And, and most people don't know that. I mean, that's not something that the mainstream moviegoer they're not thinking January through June is going to really be a terrible time at the movies. That's more of like an industry thing. Well, where... it's sort of evolved in the last few years to. To just be January and February now, because big stuff does open in March and right. April now. So, so that January February is really the industry dumping ground for real now. <laughs> uh, but there are exceptions, though. I mean, Cloverfield was a January release, and that was a really good movie. The Lego movie, the Lego movie as as pointed out in an article I read. Oh, it's it's hitting the same weekend as the Lego movie, and I don't think those two compare at all. No, I really like the gray, and that came out I think in January. Yeah. What did you guys think of the trailer? For Jupiter Ascending, uh, I thought it was strange. Yeah, um, it doesn't look. I it, I wonder how long the Wachowskis are going to keep getting these giant budgets. Frankly, yeah, it's it's so weird to me that they are still running off of, and it's not even the trilogy. They're running off the success of the first Matrix movie. Yeah, yeah. There, I don't know many people that were satisfied with how the Matrix trilogy ended up. I know a few people that are like the the more philosophical touches that they they threw into the matrix reloaded and the matrix revolutions but i don't think i ever actually saw them now that i think about it well if you want philosophical wachowskis um then turn nowhere except for cloud atlas which in my personal opinion was a terrible movie uh there's a lot of people that would disagree with me out there but there's I, a there's a lot a really split opinion on cloud atlas uh it i again i never saw that one it it didn't look like my cup of tea, so I really didn't try to seek it out. But both both I mean I didn't see it either. But both Cloud Atlas and Speed Racer kind of tanked. At Speed the... Racer was pretty pretty tough to get through for me. Yeah, and both of those movies tanked at the box office. Yet this is a we're talking about a hundred fifty million dollar budget movie in Jupiter Ascending that they uh, for some reason are still able to get funded. And and it really is not a good sign. I know uh, mm-hmm. the last Channing Tatum movie to get pushed back a year when it was was just weeks from release was GI Joe Retaliation, and you know it. I, there weren't expectations from that movie. I don't think. Um, I know a lot of Wachowski fans have expressed an in, 
expressed their disappointment that a studio is no longer backing somebody with an independent vision, I guess, or a unique vision like the Wachowskis. And I just, I just don't see it. I mean, I, they make crazy movies, mm-hmm. um, you know, really non-commercial movies. And I, this probably, I would assume, would be the undoing of them getting another $150 million sci-fi I, budget. I, I guess that remains to be seen until we see the movie and see how it performs but i mean i just for me the 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 big red flag here is the february release i think that's i mean if they really had faith in it they would push it back another couple of months and yeah you know have a a november release something like that yeah yeah they're gonna try to get it out there and off the screens as quick as possible it seems if it's in february you're not gonna remember it by summer 2015 definitely somebody's not penciling in uh going to see Jupiter Ascending right now in February. <laughs> it's not a Valentine's Date movie, is it? I don't think so, but it could be up. To, I mean, just looking at everything that's happening right now, it could go up there as one of uh, one of those big box office failures like, um, what's that one? Oh, uh, John Carter. John Carter, yeah. you're reading my mind. Good. Yeah. Thanks. John Carter. Um, but, you know, the thing for me, too, is, is that how close it is to release date. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like six weeks away from release, so... I mean, trailers have been playing. Oh, yeah. We're, we're playing in front of Maleficent as much as, you know, a week ago. Yeah, you would think that they would have known, you know, six months ago that they were going to hit their deadlines. Well, yeah. I don't think it was a deadline. Yeah, because there's apparently 2,000 special effects shots. In well, yeah, the, in but the that's movie. what I'm saying. You but, should have known a little while, a long, right. a, a, a long time ago, that you weren't going to be able to get those special effects. But done. look at every movie that comes out this summer. You can't say that there aren't 2,000 special effects shots or at least something approaching that in something like Edge of Dark Edge sorry Edge of Tomorrow uh, Maleficent X-Men Days of Future Past everything in the summer is full of effect shots yeah. and I think it's it's a total cop out and I think people are wise to it now you know Yeah, I think so too. Especially especially with with such a superhero heavy summer and and sci-fi heavy summer every year. Well, and I think to begin with, I think you're already when you're you know, especially this day and age in the movie theaters, when you're not running from an established franchise or a sequel, you already kind of have a leg down on everyone else. And so when you're really trying to make this, I mean, the, the trailer's just weird. It just looks weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I haven't heard any positive talk of it on any, on any web circles or anything like that. So, Well, I guess it remains to be seen. Uh, check back with us in February 2015. We'll <laughs> yeah. let you know what Jupiter Sending was like. Next up, Forrest Gump. The 1994 smash hit starring Tom Hanks and Gary Sinise and Robin Wright getting an IMAX re-release this year in honor of its 20th anniversary. Cody? Yeah, this will be released on September 5th. And uh, and just like Jared said, it's the 20th anniversary of Forrest Gump. And for whatever weird reason, they feel like IMAX is the way to go uh, in the re-release. I, 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 I am lost. I don't understand... This. IMAX for this the I guess the biggest hurdle for me on that is that there's 20 year old special effects in this which at the time were groundbreaking and you know if you see Forrest Gump now which it shows about all the time every weekend on TNT some of those effects have not aged well a lot of the when they manipulate the mouths of like uh, John Lennon and and Mm -hmm. JFK it, it looks terrible now it looked great 20 years ago I don't know how that's gonna how well that's gonna play on an, a giant IMAX screen. It, but this also is not a visual movie. Like I mean, like 
what, you know, the reason for IMAX is for insane visuals and awesome sound. This is not that type of movie. I disagree a little bit. Uh, this you want to is... see him playing ping pong on a giant 40-foot screen Well, or the, the thing about this movie, to me, it was the first subtle use of special effects, uh, outside of the obvious ones where you get you know, JFK talking mm-hmm. you know, in a weird puppet mouth and things like that. It was Robert Zemeckis was a pioneer of this for a while until he got lost down that motion capture rabbit hole with just subtle use of special effects to enhance the story. I think, you know, the the crowd scene at the the National Mall in Washington, you know, that's, I don't know if that's the first, but it's one of the early examples of populating a crowd with computers. Uh, The way Forrest would run faster than everybody else in the frame was, was at the time revolutionary. And it would be nice to see it's nice to see subtle work like that on a big screen, I think. I don't know that anybody's going to go see it, though. I don't know who hasn't seen this movie that, that wants to go experience it on a giant IMAX screen. I don't, <clears throat> I don't have a problem with it at all. I think it's a movie that's not going to really do anything at the IMAX theater um, because, like we said, it's on TV every day, practically. And um, I think that, I mean, if you had told me that it was going to be IMAX 3D, I'd have a problem with it. I mean, there's no reason to have it see something like that but um i think imax is you know for quote unquote epic style movies and i think that back in 1994 um forrest gump was an epic movie and it still is so to be able to see it on a huge screen i think there's some things that would come out of that that would be pretty interesting to see Um, again i wouldn't pay money to go watch it but i i can see why people would want to see it on this huge screen but i think this is an unproven thing because what other movie can you really compare Forrest Gump 2 that has shown wide on an IMAX screen. Yeah, you're right. There's there hasn't been. I mean, it's you know been relegated to the gravities and the transformers of the world. And um, I think IMAX is different today than it was 20 years ago. Heck, even 10 years ago, uh, IMAX used to be a more immersive experience. We, you know, we've all been to the 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 one they they claim is the real know, IMAX. The ones that are six stories tall. IMAX now is just slightly bigger. Yeah, that's the difference between the digital IMAX and the um and the one that still runs on film. I can remember seeing uh, however long ago it was, nineteen years ago, when Apollo thirteen was released in IMAX theaters. It was a weird blown up print of it, and the edges were all fuzzy. Yeah, uh, I saw Elf. In IMAX, and it was like that. Elf in yeah. IMAX? Yes. That's weird. See, so yeah. th- like something like that, then, I mean, w- what's the reason for you seeing Exactly. There was no point. There was no point. When I saw it, all it was was a stretched out version of Elf that was square instead of letterboxed. Yeah. But I, going into it, I mean, why did you pick? Because I was like, you know, a little kid. Well, I wasn't a little kid, a little but. Kid. <laughs> you know, did Elf was... come out like 10 years ago? Yeah. That it's It, it definitely gets people talking. Uh, I, again, Forrest Gump, I think, is one of those movies that the mainstream public likes way more than, than film critics, even though I love Forrest Gump. It's a good I, movie. Yeah. I, I really like Forrest Gump. I didn't think it should have won Best Picture that year. What do you think? The Pulp Fiction or Shawshank? Uh, those are the two that always Yeah, well, either, either one. Either one. Um, it, it definitely is a, something interesting, I think. I don't think anybody would be talking about a Forrest Gump re-release if it wasn't in IMAX, because... You know, what difference does it make? Maybe they're gearing up for a Forrest Gump, that Forrest Gump sequel, finally. <laughs> Forrest Gump and, or Gump and Co. Gump and Company, yeah. Or, I don't know if you say Gump and Co., but... 
Yeah, this is the the point I basically made to Jared earlier in the week was that if it's like the Jurassic Park release that came out last year, I totally got it, and seeing it in IMAX was awesome. I love that. This, I just don't, I don't see the, I don't see the point, and I don't see like what the difference is between just releasing it in regular oversized, like because I mean. Now all movie theaters have oversized screens that aren't mm-hmm. quite IMAX, but they're in between regular and IMAX. That would be fine, and that would be appropriate. Well, maybe it's because they, like we said, we, they show it on TV all the time, so maybe they just want to give people an option to see it in a different way. I mean, Or it could be just a cash grab and charge the premium IMAX price, and they want to maximize their, their money making for the re-release of this movie. But And then they'll do it again when it's 25-year anniversary. and It made a ton of money already. Yeah, it's, it's, mean... it's still, it still stands as the number 31 highest-grossing movie of all time domestically. Wow. I'd rather go see the 30th anniversary of the Karate Kid in uh, IMAX. See that crane kick in that, that big? Can That'd you imagine awesome. the crane kick in, in, <laughs> in IMAX? IMAX? That'd My be goodness. awesome. Have you even seen the Karate Kid, Cody? A long, long time the ago. Jaden Smith one. I have seen the Jaden Smith one, yeah. <laughs> he was too, way too scrawny in that movie to be the Karate Kid, in my opinion. Who, Jaden Smith yeah. or Ralph Macchio? Oh. Jaden Smith. They were both scrawny. But Ralph Macchio was like 29. When he <laughs> <Kid>. <laughs> I remember watching when I was little, and um, he, he always seemed like just this adult to me. And now yeah. watching it now, it's kind of funny. Did you did you ever take karate classes based on your love of the Karate Kid? Oh, no, I, I never did. But I, I uh, My grandmother made me a... I guess you call it a gi, the karate uniform. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> out of like old bed sheets. I remember. It was the, great. It was it was awesome. <laughs> I remember on uh, the Kellogg's box of whatever Frosted Flakes, they had a cutout um, headband with that little. Um, I don't know. It was it's like, like a, a sun sunburst or something. I don't know. There was what something on it, yeah. But you put it over, you cut it out, and you start. You're wearing a cardboard um, headband. Yeah. All right. Moving on from Forrest Gump, one last piece about Ant Man for the third week in a row. <laughs> Finally, a director, Cody. Uh, Yeah, it was just announced yesterday, I believe, that Peyton Reed is going to direct Ant-Man, and he was the director of Bring It On and uh, and Yes Man and The Breakup. So he's coming from, you know, sticking with the names we had heard before, someone who's coming from at least a comedy background. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it also came out that Adam McKay, who we discussed last week, you know, the director of Step Brothers and Talladega Nights and all of those Will Ferrell movies, is going to contribute and do some sort of rewrite to the script. So they're they're firmly going for comedy, I think yes. it's safe to say at this point. You know, Peyton Reed, I remember years ago, was attached to the Fantastic Four films that eventually went to Tim's story. So he does have, I guess, a little bit of history in the genre. Uh, so we're finally going to get a Fantastic Four type Batman. Yes, I can't wait. No, I, well, those, those were cash grabs, the Fantastic Four. That was a superhero Superheroes are starting to get hot. They made a lot of mistakes with those that I think have been rectified by now. I I don't know how I feel about it being a, a comedy all the way. I mean, I mean, I, lo- I I lost interest when Edgar Wright was out. Yes, so. we know, we know, we <laughs> so. know. For the third week in a row, we've talked about this. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see what what's going to happen. Uh, I wonder what Adam McKay is going to contribute to the script. I mean, you got to think it's only comedy. What I mean. Where else? I mean, we haven't seen anything else from him, so maybe I, he's got another gear. I don't know. I think the other guys was was more of an action movie than a comedy. It kind of reminded me of the like Fletch and Beverly Hills Cop, where people tell you how funny they are, but those are action movies first. You know that that was kind of a staple of the eighties comedies. Eighties comedies scored by uh, Harold Fontlemire 
how do you say that name? Oh yeah. You know, Fletch Fletch and Beverly Hills Cop. Didn't he do Cop Out too? Didn't Kevin Cop Smith out. get That's Cop Out? That's the only good part about Cop Out is the soundtrack. Everything else about that movie I totally, totally hate. <laughs> but the soundtrack is awesome. So I, I'm curious to see what it's going to be like. I saw some of Breakup last night again. Um, just so I can re-familiarize myself with Peyton Reed's work. Um, it, it's it's funny, but I mean, there's some darker parts to uh, Breakup. That's, there's some kind of mean-spirited parts I could see. That was a pretty I mean, solid film, if I remember correctly. Mm, yeah. Um, and Bring It On, the first Bring It On, I thought was, was funny. Yeah, I liked the first one, too. Until they started yeah. going to... The work. ABC Family direct-to-video <laughs> sequels. Yeah. You know, if you read, I haven't seen the movie, but um, a lot of when, when people were talking about this online yesterday, they were talking about a movie called Down With Love. Yes, yes. I, that, haven't, I haven't seen that. That's, but. It's not... The, the, style is, the style behind that movie is fantastic. It takes place in the 60s in this crazy idealized New York where you know JFK Airport is across the street from the UN... And things like that. So it has a weird kind of vibe to it where it's it's a real storybook New York. I, I mean, the movie was was decent enough, but the style of it was was what really stood out for me. Yeah, I remember the style. I saw it back when it came out, I guess, what, in the early 2000s? It was and, uh, yeah, mid-2000s, yeah. But that's all. I mean, I don't really remember it. I saw it once and that was it. One and done. It really made a, a, a impact on my life that I can uh, <laughs> remember, remember Renee Zellweger and... Um, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor, yeah. yeah. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we've got The Fault in Our Stars. Even though you had freaking cancer, you're willing to give money to a corporation for the chance to acquire even more cancer? Let me just tell you that not being able to breathe sucks. Hazel Grace, they don't actually hurt you unless you light them. Hmm? I never lit one. It's a metaphor, see? You put the thing that does the killing right between your teeth but you never give it the power to kill you. A metaphor. All right, we all saw this movie. Cody, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, I, I, I didn't have many expectations going into this movie. I hadn't read the book. And you know... And you're not a teenage girl. No, no. Uh, contrary to popular belief. <laughs> I was impressed with this movie. I, I was, you know, shockingly impressed. You know, in the, when, and during our screening, we saw that trailer for the TV show on Fox, Red Band Society, yeah. which was awful. That was an awful trailer. <laughs> and when I was watching that, I was like, this is what I expect the movie to be. It was cheesy and overwrought. And, but if you watch the actual movie, it's very, it's very sincere. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, uh, you know, they don't sugarcoat things very much in this movie. They could have focused on the cancer elements of it, and really try to wring emotion out of you, which they do. Yeah. But it's not overdone. You're not beaten over the head with the cancer storyline. It just becomes ultimately like a teenage young love story that's really, really uh, impressive, you know, as a whole. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the the love story in Titanic. Not as melodramatic, of course, but just sort of quick young love mm-hmm. uh, under you know dire circumstances. Uh, and I really enjoyed it too. I think there's a few moments in the movie that that ring untrue, yeah. Uh, but most of it, I think, was was really sincere. And I'm not afraid to say it was really sad. And I mean, I was, I didn't cry, but I could see how you could. Sure. There was a you know, like a 12 year old girl sitting next to me next to the, in the screening that was just sobbing her eyes out. Yeah. So, Kika, what about you? Oh, I didn't see this movie with y'all, but I got a chance to see it this weekend, and um, I, I liked it all right. I thought that narratively, uh, you know, there wasn't anything too impressive about it, but what I liked about it the most was that um, you didn't get that that 
that teenage film where you know they throw in montages to show you how they're falling in love right it just kind of happens naturally and organically so i mean these things are kind of going along and their 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 relationship is happening and and you kind of just watch them fall in love uh, little by little so i really enjoyed that aspect of it i thought that that really uh was a, a realistic point uh to it um i don't know i mean there it was two two young pretty people with cancer that fell in love i mean i don't see anything wrong with it or anything amazing about it i would have rather seen there was a scene where there she was at a at a um, one of her group therapy sessions and there was like a girl next to her who was like who had, the, who the had no stars, hair and, yeah. yeah no hair and she had like a hole in her neck where she was getting treatment i mm-hmm. want to see her love story <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like that would have been you know something that would have been interesting to me instead of seeing you know you know i this this you know the screenplay was written by michael h weber and scott uh newstad newstadter and the guys who wrote 500 days of summer and the spectacular now and this movie sort of reminded me of the spectacular now a little bit but it was better to me and you know kiko you and i saw the spectacular now together and when we were coming out of it you know we were like i don't know where this um where this i guess confidence that miles teller character has where it comes from we 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 had a trouble buying into it and in this movie with ansel elgert uh i felt the complete opposite i felt like this was a kid who had tons of charisma and likability and his confidence was really easy. I thought he was really, really good in this movie. I think his confidence was fine. I still had a problem with uh, some of the narration, mean, not the narration, some of the dialogue that he was given. I don't think that nineteen-year-old boys talk like what, the way he was talking. I just doesn't that didn't that didn't that's something that I didn't like about the movie. I I felt like he was you know pushing those limits to where you know maybe I was just a real big dork and when I was nineteen and couldn't put two sentences together and and be as suave as him, but. Uh, just it, him speaking the way he spoke. Well, it definitely does have the the young adult novel trappings. Right. I mean, one of the first things I noticed was the the names of the main characters are really too cute. Yeah, yeah. Augustus, and Augustus, and Hazel Grace. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the the support group they meet at was a little too cheesy. Uh, Mike Birbiglia, which it's weird because we get a, at the very beginning we get a little tiny detour into Mike Birbiglia's character's life. You know, he's this real Jesus-y, folk-singing Yeah, I didn't get that part group. either, why they went into that. And you know, then... he talks about him having testicular cancer, and we get a little cutaway into his life, and that's all we ever get. And he just sort of disappears. Well, it's the, the same way with the friend with the cancer in his eyes. I mean, we get a little bit of him, and then all of a sudden... I didn't we... mind that I so like, much. I like that part of it. But, yeah. but, but yeah, he, he, I mean, he comes out at the beginning and then comes out at the end. I mean, no, he's, he's not he, really a... F- he pops up he, in the middle of the film, too. I don't remember him popping up in the middle. Yeah. Maybe. He, well, I guess, Cody, let's go ahead and activate the spoiler zone now. Now entering the spoiler zone. To avoid spoilers, fast forward to... 31 minutes and 12 seconds. They both have cancer. That's a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the spoiler is that, that, you know, you know one of them is going to die. I think going into the film. I think it became apparent towards the middle which one it was going to be, too. Yeah. But go on. It is uh, Augustus who dies at the end of the film. Um, and the, the, I mean, once that part of the movie hit, it was pretty, it was a pretty big bummer. Yeah. Um, that, and those were the moments where the, the end of the movie is where I thought that it finally became a little bit, uh, you know, soapy. 
I think that's when it finally hit a little bit. Not all of it, but some of it. Well, that's that was its butter zone. That's where that's what the movie was aiming for. It all mm-hmm. filters down. You know, this is for teenage girls, and it you know there's a a jangly emo soundtrack happening while he's reading. And another thing that I thought rang a little bit false in the movie was Willem Dafoe's character, uh, the writer character. I can't remember the, the character's name. Yeah, that. Um... You know, Van Houten was the character's yeah. name. Uh, that was the moment in the movie that turned me a little bit. I was actually really, really enjoying this movie up until they get to Amsterdam and they meet with Van Houten. And that whole scene just was, there was something way off. It took me right out of the movie. And just to let you know who Van Houten is, he's a uh, an author that both of these characters are really right. uh, like. And they've read his book. Um, and so they want to go to Amsterdam. They want to use their... Um, Make, Make a, a wish. wish Foundation wish to uh, travel to Amsterdam to ask him some questions about the book that they both like. Um, to that... see the book finished, the the end of the book is technically unfinished. You know, the story stops when in the, the middle of a sentence. Yeah, great. Yeah, and so when they meet this guy who they've you know liked for so long and and enjoy his work, um, he just comes off as being this really big prick. Well, and he, <laughs> and he's really eccentric and weird. And you know, I was telling Cody about this. These movies where they talk about a character for so long and you never see him, you always know in the back of your mind that it's going to be some kind of surprise actor. I was I remember Little Miss Sunshine, where you know Greg Kinnear's character talks about his boss for for three quarters of the movie, and you're like, this has got to be somebody big, and it's Brian, Brian Cranston. Cranston. This is how I, that's how I felt about Willem Dafoe. I was just waiting to see what actor was going to be cast as the author, and maybe that's a little too inside. Maybe I just know the formula too well, but once I, once we, we, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because it's never someone like amazing. It's like Brian Cranston, Willem Dafoe. And then like in chef, the big reveal of the food critic is Oliver Platt. And like yeah. he turned, he does that big, like turnaround reveal. Yeah. And it's like, it's all, Oh, you're like, Oh, it's well, Oliver I guess Platt. maybe now Brian Cranston would be bigger. Yeah. But not but when it came not out when little miss sunshine was released. So, and you know that, because you you know at that point you're like man we're halfway through the movie this isn't going to go well for them you know, this is going to be this author's going to be just either a huge prick or a huge weirdo it, it, did did any did you guys also feel that scene was just too much it felt like it felt like too severe it it, it was just it I didn't was, I didn't have a problem with that scene um I thought I mean I I I don't know what I was thinking when I was going into it I'm just glad that it didn't wasn't a happy it was a little on the nose yeah when it talks about. You know, you're a genetic mutation that everybody tries to make feel better. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> it was a little, a little too much. <laughs> I guess though, if you look at it, looking at it from a 35 year old's perspective as opposed to an 18 year old's perspective, you know, this is their world. You know, this is meant for the 18 year old, the 15 year olds of the world. You know, you see it because I remember another line that I remember that was like, "Oh, this is this is a movie for kids." Where she's at the funeral, she speaks at at Augustus's funeral, and the narration as she's walking away, she says, "I've discovered funerals aren't for the dead; they're for the living." Yeah, and that's just such a it's it's one of those that at, at this point in my life I'm like, well, yeah, of course, but at a, as a teen, I could see that being a discovery. You know, oh wait, this is for the grandmas and the dads and the yeah. aunts and stuff that are left behind. It's not for the dead person. So I can excuse the movie a little bit for that, but. As an adult, it's just a little too. It's a little too much. I just like the way they they wrote her, and she's a, she's fantastic. I mean, I know you really liked uh, the actor, and I thought he was good, but um, I really enjoyed Shailene Woolley's uh, 
performance in this. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's too bad something like this doesn't get more attention later on in the in the year, but um, because it's a YA novel, and yeah. I don't know if any has any YA novels ever been nominated for anything like in performance wise. I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but um, she's really great, and um, I really like the way that they write her. Um, she's kind of like she doesn't even really. I love that scene where uh, they're he, they're in the church and he's like, now maybe they're not in a church, but he says something about let's bow our heads now and pretend like we're praying. Yeah, that was at the funeral. funeral. Yeah. It was at the funeral, right? And um, he kind of he kind of gets her because he realizes like maybe she's. Well, you he can get, tell he, she's a little ag- ag- agnostic. That, that's Van Houten who shows up at yeah Augustus's funeral, which another that was really unlikely to me. Yeah. But that's that's a total kind of YA fantasy, you know. Uh, whatever you want to call it, revelation. You know, hey, this this author that was a big jerk to us, he gets it now. And yeah. He's here to to deliver one last piece of advice. <laughs> you yeah. would think his redheaded um, assistant would have realized how, what a big jerk he was going to be. Like, hey, come on down, and we're gonna. Yeah, you know, she was very idealistic. Yeah, exactly. Like out of everybody, like you saw the mail on this floor. Out of everybody, they pick. I didn't think he would have emailed them either. Oh. I didn't think. That that was realistic. Speaking yeah. of that, can we talk about how weird it is that like that they got off and had their first romantic kiss in Anne Frank's attic? That was a little <laughs> a little too much for me. It does. It was a, I don't know what the symbolism there was. Yeah, I don't the, either. I didn't get the Anne Frank uh, the Anne Frank trip. I, I didn't understand that. That she was maybe she was trapped and was released. I loved the line that came after that where she said. Falling in love with him was like falling asleep, right? A little bit at first, uh-huh. and then all at once. Yeah. yeah, there's some good lines in here. I mean, mm-hmm. I, that you would think that they're that would hit as cheesy, but no, they 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 were written well. And I think that my favorite like dramatic moment of the movie was um was the scene where uh where basically Hazel was telling her mother that like the the whole idea about I'm not going to be a mother anymore and. Yeah. And Laura Dern was telling her that like she had been taking classes and that they were ready, they would move on when oh, she right. eventually died. I li- I really like that because it was kind of like this movie does not shy away from letting you know that these characters are going to die. Yeah, their death is imminent. Like they're just basically holding on at this point. And so I really like the just the acknowledgement that you know she was going to die and that the the parents would have to move on. And all she wanted was her parents to just. You know, I really liked on. Laura Dern in this movie. Yeah, she was Laura, really good. Yeah, Laura Dern uh, was really good. One thing that I I talked to you about, Cody, it's the movie spends a lot of time texting, which I think a lot of teens do. I think they spend a little too much time talking on the phone, because mm-hmm. I mean I don't talk on the phone, but I can excuse that. But kind of the real, the real opposite of that to me was she's laying in bed. You know, Augustus is basically on his deathbed at this point. You see her phone in the foreground. And then you hear like a landline ring mm-hmm. and that's the adults telling the other adults that this kid is dead. And I thought that was a nice touch. I don't know exactly what it means, but that <laughs> you're not going to get a text saying that somebody died. Yeah. I mean, the, the <laughs> phone call, the oh, phone, the you know, the, the kind of flirtation they had over the phone, you know, once his life is over, they get a call on the landline. Right. At three in the morning or whatever. He, she knew right away. I mean, it was yeah. evident. But... Now leaving the spoiler zone. So ultimately, you guys recommend this, right? Yeah, absolutely. I do for thirteen-year-old girls. Go out and I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I again, you joke about that, but I don't. You know, just to close out, I don't think they pander to that audience at all. Yeah. Um, I think that I think that this has widespread appeal. Um, and it, it yeah, it's not like Twilight where it's just this moony, 
emo romance. I, I think it's pretty honest and it 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 hits hard. I think it you does. Know, it makes you feel. I mean, like I said, I felt the tears welling up. I didn't let them go, but man, it's really really sad. Yeah, it's a bummer. I didn't like when he kept on calling her Hazel Grace. Well, that's again, that's another kind <laughs> that's of trapping of the teen teen. You have a middle throw. name? Yeah, Allen. I'm gonna start calling you Jared Allen. <laughs> it does like the like the football player. Is there a football player? It does yeah. flow off the tongue better. I've considered using my middle name as your first name. No, no, no. Just like all together. Oh, Jared Allen. Jared Allen Kingery. It flows a little better off the tongue because that's like a hard consonant. You have a middle name, right? Yeah, Christian. Cody Christian. That f- flows too. Yeah. I'm a junior, so I don't have one. I didn't get that. You should be C- you should be CC Viafania. CC Yeah. Sounds like a baseball that. player. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, I recommend The Fault in Our Stars too. So let's move on to the next review, Edge of Tomorrow. Come on. The ship is going to explode. What are you doing? Find me when you wake up. What? Come find me when you wake up. Yeah. On your feet, maggot. All right, we all saw this movie. Kiko, what'd you think? Um, well, when it comes to Tom Cruise and uh, sci-fi movies, I, I, I always think the best because, I mean, you get something like Minority Report. Oblivion. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I hope that people don't go in thinking that this is Oblivion from last year. That came out last yeah. year, right? It's, it's a really smart script. I, I thought that, uh, um, you know, no matter what you feel about Tom Cruise going into this, um, you're really going to enjoy him in this, in this film. Uh, he... You know, has he plays a different character than he normally does. He doesn't play that, you know, sure of himself type, you know, action star that you'll normally get from something like Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Here he plays more of a coward, uh, somebody that kind of uh, tries to fade away in the background and doesn't really want to um, participate in anything war zone like. Well, he's a he's a PR guy yeah. basically for the war. Yeah, I think I don't think they I don't think it's fair to call him a coward because he he just well, they wasn't do call a, him a coward in the movie. Well, I know, but that's more military speak. I just think that he was a a guy that didn't know what the heck he was doing. You know, getting and they didn't care if he lived or died. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, I don't think I would call myself a coward if I didn't want to jump out of a plane you know? <laughs> after having no training at all. Yeah, exactly, yeah. you're right. So, I mean, he basically just goes into this war zone and relives the same day over and over again. And and it's, I mean, everybody's gonna compare this to Groundhog Day. Um, which, you know, of course, there's some similarities to it, but um, well, there's an awful lot of similarities yeah. to Groundhog Day. It's I don't very think it's, similar. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's unfair to say that the basic premise is pretty much exactly the same. Well, the basic premise and a lot of the beats, the especially the beats that they play for comedy in Edge of Tomorrow are, you know, a lot of them are pulled from Groundhog Day. Yeah, I really liked this movie too. I thought it was kind of refreshing. You know, it on the surface when you look at it, when you see the trailer, when you see the visuals, you think Oblivion. And I hope that doesn't affect people's opinion of this movie, because Oblivion was a Oblivion looked beautiful, but it was so boring. And this movie is totally the opposite. It's fun. It's not original because it borrows pretty heavily from Groundhog Day, but it is clever and it is it is funny. It's really funny for a Tom Cruise sci-fi movie, I think. Cody, didn't you have a problem with the comedy? I did. I didn't find the comedy funny. Uh, I, really? I, yeah, not at all. You know, I, I don't think it's any type of spoiler to say, obviously, it's in the trailer. So, basically, Tom Cruise is reliving the same day over and over again. Yeah. And to reset it, he has to die. Mm-hmm. That's in the trailer. And so, you know, again, it's expected comedy out of, you know, similar to Groundhog Day, where he's dying in quick cuts. And, you know, he has to redo the same things until he can get them down twice. And I just, I didn't, I didn't find it funny at all. And, and as, as a whole, I just thought that the, the movie was pretty average for me. I, really? 
Yeah, I, I, uh, smart by saying it's smart. I don't think it was that smart. I mean, I think it had a lot of borrowing from it. Um, I think that it it starts very slow. I think that it picks up towards the middle, and uh, I think Emily Blunt is the best part of this movie. Um, I really her character was the one that I actually liked the most. But yeah, I thought this was just an above a slightly above average action movie. I. What I really liked about it um, is the fact that you always hear the these uh, comparisons to uh, video games when you get these kind of action movies. Like, oh, it played like a video game. It played yeah. like a video game. And that's never a good thing when it does that. I mean, look at something like Doom, you know. Well, that was a video game. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe you wanted to play like a video game. Anyway, whenever you hear that, you, you don't get good thoughts about a movie. Um, this one played like a video game in all the right ways. And, and, yeah. and I think Jared and I talked a little bit about this. Uh, the old school video games where, you know, there's 10 levels and you get to that 10th level and then you die and you have to start to level one again and how frustrating that was as kids. I mean, I don't... It's the old... Harkens back to like 80s video games where there wasn't save features. You didn't have the internet to to walk you through it. You had to just play and you learned, you know, when this guy was going to shoot and when this enemy was going to pop up. And that's that was a, a thing that I felt the movie did really well. You yeah, know? And I, I totally agree. I mean, I, 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 before the game genie came out, I remember, <laughs> I remember it was such, oh, it was so heartbreaking playing, you know, genie. Super Mario Brothers and dying in that, you know, pit of fire and you having to start all you over again. You have to again. time the jump to, just uh, perfectly exactly. over the hammer. But when brother. you, after playing it for, you know, months on, on end, you know, over and over again, you don't even have to think about those scenes anymore. You can just jump over that fireball and you know exactly where it is. You can, practically do it with your eyes closed and i think that that kind of captured those moments uh in a video game uh video game culture where you don't even have to think about things one thing that um not to take you off topic but one thing you and i talked about kiko and jared i don't know if you felt the same way but the alien design in this movie we were not huge fans of i didn't really care Uh, it was pretty secondary I was glad it wasn't bugs again, because <laughs> yeah. everything seems to be bugs now, or at least bug-like. I'm glad. I'm glad the move, the monsters didn't, or the aliens didn't look like the monsters in Cloverfield, because I think everything looks like the monster in Cloverfield now. I don't. I wasn't particularly fond of the design, but I didn't really care. I, I, I mean, I just thought it was bad design. I mean, I don't know what they were going for. It was like a squid-like, like spiders, why were spider they, thing. Why were they called mimics? They didn't mimic anything. I just thought of the Guillermo del Toro movie every time right, he said yeah. mimics. So did I. I kept on thinking that. But, uh, I mean, I, don't, I, I wouldn't con- consider it secondary because they're the things that they're fighting. You know, I mean, they're, they're, in, part of the, they're in a big part of the film. So he was going well, after these things. And I could, just couldn't really tell where it started and where it ended. Kind of like Transformers. That yeah. was my big problem with Transformers. He didn't know where the robot was punching not, and where he was ending his not punch. That the, not that the, car- the aliens themselves are secondary, just the design of them oh, is okay. secondary. What, uh, I don't, maybe I missed this, um, but part of what I couldn't figure out in this movie was why they set Tom Cruise up to begin with, why Brandon Gleason's character set him up and just threw him into that. And like he came in and in the beginning of the movie, you see that he, uh, that he, they took away his, uh, like he wasn't a major, he was a private mm-hmm. and they just sent him back do they do they ever clear it, that up? It was a little muddy. The, I think the the idea is that Brendan Gleeson's character, the general, was mad that Tom Cruise didn't want to follow his order. Right. So he just yeah, that's basically it. I don't think that there's anything else to look into. Yeah, he was just angry that he. It, I, it is a little unclear because I had to I had to kind of rethink that when yeah. I was when I was writing my written review of this. It's not immediately clear why he got busted down to private. 
you know, in this kind of conspiracy. Because they bring up all these, you know, impersonating an officer right. claims and stuff. And it wasn't really that clear, but I don't think it really matters. to get. The, it's just a way to get the story started. Yeah, but, you know, it's... Like I said, I just think it borrows too heavily. I mean, even down to the uh, more comedic beats where Tom Cruise is saying the lines that people are going to say before they say them. That's strips straight from Groundhog Day. I don't think there's any other way to handle it, though. You know, if you if you ignore Groundhog Day, I don't think it was. I don't think there's any other way to handle the movie, though, because if you got this premise, you know that somebody's going to say this. You know that he's going to. Yeah, to, to fight his way through it, knowing when what, hap, what happens when it happens. I agree. Uh, the moments where Cody doesn't find funny, and the mo- and the moments where you find funny, I just found as part of the story. I mean, there's no way to get past that except to do what needs to be done to get to the next scene. So, I didn't find it funny, but I didn't find it like I didn't think like, oh, this is you were laughing. Too much. You were laughing. It was like, I mean, at the beginning when they, you know, they kill him quickly. I mean, because yeah. but that would happen. So it's realistic. I mean, that would happen. You would screw up on the. That would happen if you, were, if you were stuck in a time loop. That would happen. <laughs> yeah. Somebody would shoot you in the head. Well, I mean, you. I mean, if you were doing it for so many times, you wouldn't think, and you would miss a beat and fall into the, the pit of snakes or whatever happens. And the pit of snakes. I'm thinking of um, Indiana Jones. I'm thinking of old old uh, video games. No. Oh. Wasn't there a pit of snakes and like Pitfall? Probably. Ultimately, I recommend it. I thought it was. I thought it was a fun time, even though it kind of falls apart at the end. I, I really like this movie. I, I do too, and I don't think we're giving enough credit to uh, Tom Cruise. I think he's a. When I think movie star, I think Tom Cruise. I, I've, I, I like him a lot. I think he does a great job. I like him. I like him too. I'm a, I'm a Tom Cruise fan. This movie, I just, um, it's fine. That's about as much as I can say about it. It's fine. Yeah, I, I would, I would slightly recommend it if you're looking for something summary to watch but i wouldn't go into things with huge expectations you could start the you could start this summer off a lot worse than we did in 2014 that's true edge of tomorrow that's that's the the pull quote from cody that's going to be on the dvd box (laughs) fine it's fine (laughs) it's fine speaking of tom cruise let's move on to our final segment Overrated, underrated now in this segment we're each going to pick a tom cruise film that we think is overrated and that we think is underrated. Mm-hmm. Kiko, why don't you lead us off? Underrated, my favorite movie of all time is called Magnolia, and I think that's, not that it's underrated in the fact that he didn't get a lot of accolades for his performance as uh, Frank T.J. Mackey, this uh, um, motivational speaker uh, who's very... Uh, vulgar. Vulgar. And, uh, What's his line? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we can say that on here. But I don't think enough people have seen it, so that's why I'm considering it underrated did he not get an oscar nomination yeah he did get an oscar nomination okay. that was uh oscar nomination best supporting actor in uh 2000 or 1999 yeah and if anyone hasn't seen his big speech from that movie you need to go to youtube and remedy that. no no you need to watch the whole three-hour movie no i, I you, <laughs> no. you don't but yeah. i think tom cruise is the most the most solid part of that film mm-hmm. uh, yeah. followed followed closely in retrospect in my mind by john c Riley losing his gun as a cop yeah. Right. And then then it gets weird with William H Macy and his weird braces and Yeah, it's a, it's a very uh it's a Paul, multi-layered it's, film. It's Paul Thomas Anderson's third film, right? I believe so. He did a uh, Boogie Nights and, and he had done um Heart Eight. Heart Eight. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, and again, I'm not saying it's not underrated be, per se because I mean, it's, well, it's underrated it's, in its own right. Right. It was critically acclaimed back when it came out, but underrated in the fact that people hear Magnolia and It's a difficult watch. I'm going to be honest. Are, it is. I liked it enough when it came out to see it a couple times, but it's not an easy watch. It it loses me at the end. I I just it should be said that Kiko, you have some of the actual frogs <laughs> uh, 
uh, not very far from here yeah. that, that rained down in this in the climax of the film. Yeah, some of those frogs were CGI, and some of them were actually real, like plasticky. I don't know, gooey. My my frog fandom comes from Magnolia. I still don't understand the frogs in Magnolia. All these years later, that's something that that's another uh, episode. (laughs) Wasn't Philip Baker Hall really good? I remember that being a really good part of Magnolia too. Yeah, everybody's good in Magnolia. Oh, and then Henry Gibson is that weird guy at the bar. What's going on in half of that movie? I don't know. You guys, I'll, I'll buy you the Blu-ray so you can watch it again. Give it another shot. How about your overrated Tom Cruise movie? Uh, overrated Tom Cruise movie is easy, and it's a recent movie that he did, and that's uh, Mission Impossible 4, uh, or Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Which, I t- that's mine, too. And mine. See, I, I think we're all on the same. We definitely are on the same page. I don't get it. I just completely don't understand why this is considered the best of the Mission Impossible 4 movies with fans and with critics. I love Part 3. Part 3 is amazing to part, me. Part 3 is my underrated Tom Cruise movie. Okay. Part, now, let me get one thing straight. I don't dislike Part 4. I think it's a great film. I don't think it's as good as Part 3. I think a lot of the love for Part 4 comes from director Brad Bird. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. I, I don't think it's a good movie. I Really? I did not like it at all. I think that it was... It was just a giant spectacle distraction, like when he's when he's climbing that uh, climbing that giant building. Yeah, in, the, uh, in yeah Dubai. In I, Dubai, I didn't like that. That big the big stunt was just to get into a server room. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was it was an incredible stunt. And you know, if you don't know, Tom Cruise did that stunt himself because he's kind of a maniac when it comes to that stuff. I didn't like that that the payoff was. Hey, we got to get into this server room. <laughs> Let's swing on the outside of the world's largest building. And then I thought the villain was was pretty mundane compared to Philip Seymour Hoffman in part yeah. three. I, I, I'm on the same boat as Cody. I didn't like it well, and at we, all. And I just didn't think anything happened that was that was memorable in, in terms of like action sequences. or. What I really hated from that movie, and I don't know how well you two remember it, but the scene where they were putting up the uh like the the cgi it was a cgi scene but they were putting up those things as like uh it was run by an ipad yeah and they were like distractions where people would think they were like mirrors or i liked that when they were break it was at the beginning when they're like breaking into the kremlin right yes it was when it was the kremlin scene yeah i I liked that part and i liked that it ran off an ipad because that was huge at the time everything runs off an ipad yeah (laughs) it shows running off of an ipad yeah it was i didn't mind that i didn't like i said i don't dislike the movie the, the third movie, I thought, really upped the stakes with somebody like Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was just insane. Yeah. And that scene where he where he's holding him outside the plane, I thought that was the best scene in the whole, the whole series. And then it was a real big step down to part four. And I don't know if you remember when part four came out, there was you know talk that Tom Cruise wasn't going to continue in the series. And that was the reason they brought Jeremy in Renner. Jeremy Renner, who Hollywood keeps trying to shove down our throats. <laughs> And I just thought he added nothing to the film. No, absolutely nothing from Jeremy Renner. I, I totally agree. And so what's happening now? Is, that, is there going to be a part five? The, yeah. la- the word from Jeremy Renner, I think this week, was that he's going to be in part mm-hmm. five. And But Tom Cruise isn't. No, he is. No, he is. Oh, oh so he pulled back on that. He's going to... I like Jeremy Renner. I liked him in... Hurt Locker. Uh, the Hurt Locker. And I liked his part, even though the two of you didn't care for it, in American Hustle. I thought he's, he's oh, no, I thought, actually, as much as I didn't like American Hustle, I, Jeremy Renner was the best part But I me. think he's dead weight in every other movie that I've seen him in. Yeah. Uh, the Avengers, he was he got hypnotized at the beginning. You know what? He's really good in the town. Yeah, he's good in the town. He's really okay, good in the yeah. town. Okay, yeah. I forgot about the town. Uh, I didn't care for the the, la- the last Bourne movie. No, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, wait, I didn't see it. <laughs> Sorry. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. Pretty boring. 
So my uh, un- my overrated movie was uh, Ghost Protocols. Was yours? What did you already give us your underrated? My underrated was Mission Impossible. Mission 3. Impossible Three. Okay. Cody, what about you? Well, my again, my overrated is Ghost Protocol. Um, my underrated is Minority Report. Uh, this movie came out in 2002, and um, it is, you know, again, it was critically acclaimed uh, when it came out. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite Spielberg movies, and I think it gets kind of lost in the mix a little bit. I think that it is as relevant now as it was when it came out, and I think it was ahead of its time in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, You're talking about politics-wise? Yeah, yeah, and, and even visually. I think visually it looked amazing. That was an amazing-looking movie. You know, I love the idea. I mean, I know it isn't an original idea because it's based on a short story, but the idea of the pre-crime unit and, uh, and you know, obviously he sees himself come up. That's the big that's a big plot point in the movie is that he sees himself come up in the pre-crime. I liked that they etched it on wooden balls, mm-hmm. like ski balls. Yeah. <laughs> ski balls. And it was a weird, kind of weird touch, like weird, interesting touch. Yeah, it was. it's it's just a really cool movie, and you have, you know, the, the girl who lies, the precogs who lie in the pools, and that was Samantha Morton in a really good, interesting role, uh-huh. actually. This I, I love this movie. It's, uh, like I said, I, I would put it in my top five of Spielberg movies easily. Really, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, I think that this movie's, when it comes to sci-fi, it's overlooked so many times. And I think because of that, I think it's just it came out in two thousand and two. Uh, Spielberg had a great year that year, by the way. He uh, did Minority Report and uh, um, Catch Me If You Can, which I love. Catch Me If You Can. So I think that, uh, and he didn't get anything for those two films um, later on in the year, um, which is crazy because two thousand two for him was amazing. Um, but back to Minority Report, I mean, there's just some great ideas in here. These uh, really. Uh, interesting uh sci-fi um this interesting sci-fi narrative that i've never really seen in another movie before um so i think oh man i don't know they're now thinking about that i want to see that movie again because i've seen it you know at least half a dozen times since it came out but um yeah it's a great film i liked some of the the strange technology the the, the, officer, f- the six stick the six stick was yeah, great yeah you tap them and they throw up i thought it has one of the strangest kind of goofy Spielberg shots because you know Spielberg always has something that's a big goof like in Jurassic Park I think of the you know the objects in the mirror are closer than they appear when he the the dinosaurs he, coming in yeah this one where they in the there's a fight scene at the beginning of the film where they're flying through like a tenement building and Tom Cruise is on a jetpack and there's just a shot like a very careful shot of the exhaust ports from his jetpack cooking some hamburgers <laughs> do you remember that do you I don't remember, remember that? that I don't there, there's he these fighting, I can't remember what the, the scene is about, but they're fighting through like an apartment building and he busts in on this woman cooking dinner and his jetpack just brazes over some hamburger patties. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, That's it's funny. this weird touch. And you only someone like Spielberg, I think, could get away with that not being cut out of a, a, a sci-fi, you know, yeah. a serious-minded sci-fi film like this. And, and you know, I, I'm, re- I'm just reading some about it while I'm here. And, you know, this Minority Report was apparently the first film to have an entirely digital production design. So it was kind of definitely ahead of its time visually. And, you know, there's just a lot of really interesting touches. Like, I love the, like you were saying, the weird New Age kind of stuff. Like, the, the drugs that he takes from, like, inhalers, mm-hmm. where he just kind of, like, sucks in the, I guess it's like a disc. I, I the the scene with his eyes, uh, mm-hmm. I, I've always loved that part I, of the movie. I liked the kind of mar- marriage of you know here's all these flying cars and hover vehicles and things, and people just live in normal houses, right? And and they are and they're also like really decrepit parts of town yeah. that he he goes through, and it's not all this you know really fancy looking futuristic place. There's still like you know really bad parts of town, and 
And yeah, it's just a really smart, really, really smart uh, sci-fi movie that I think uh, doesn't get enough credit uh, and, and as far as Spielberg's career goes. Well, he had a pretty solid early 2000s, with, like you mentioned, with Catch Me If You Can. He did Munich somewhere around that time, Munich. Right? 05 was Munich. And War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, I think, is the, the Spielberg sci-fi movie that overshadows this one because that marked... That's the, the when Tom Cruise had the, I guess, meltdown. Very, very public meltdown. But it, it was the movie that marked Tom Cruise's sort of descent into this public figure that a lot of people don't find very appealing. I don't care if that he, you know, prays to aliens on his time off. <laughs> He's a great actor. He's a great runner. I th- that's something underrated about him. He's the best Hollywood runner. You think so? He's, he has a great run. <laughs> yeah, he is, a, he is a good runner. Will Smith is a pretty good runner, too. You know, going back to Edge of Tomorrow, I thought for the first time ever you could see Tom Cruise's age. There's a scene where he, he has, you know, a bit of the turkey neck syndrome, <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's not, I mean, he's still in amazing shape and is, is, you know, looks like he's 35. But I think this is the first time you actually see his age. You know, oddly enough that, that you say that, I would say a solid candidate for another underrated Tom Cruise movie would be Collateral. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I haven't right. seen that movie in a while. Very I, po- I remember it pretty well. Yeah, very poetic type of mm-hmm. uh, and thriller. That was the year that Jamie Foxx was nominated for both that and Ray in mm-hmm. the same year. And I, Tom Cruise wasn't nominated uh, for that movie, and he was awesome in yeah, Collateral. Yeah, he was really good. Yeah. And yeah, it was, I, that, was that like the first role that Tom Cruise did where he was like a legit villain? I, rem- I think I remember hearing that at the time, that that was the first. Yeah, I know. can't remember anything that he was in where he, was a, he played the bad guy. Hmm. That's a good question. And he was a really good bad guy. I'm, he was really solid in that movie. What do you think about the talk that, that after, after Tony Scott committed suicide, they had kind of shelved Top Gun 2, but now the talk has recently been kicking around that, that Tom Cruise is, is going to make a Top Gun 2. Do you think it's something that... Are you looking forward to that at all? Anybody? I, I mean, I wasn't a big fan of the first one. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a good... Uh, Top Gun is pretty much a quintessential 80s movie. Right, You've right. got to watch... That's, that's in the pantheon with stuff like Karate Kid <laughs> and... And E.T., I think. I think, yeah, I think that, that's one of those ones where people will go watch it just for, you know, the sake of remembering back to their, where they were when uh, that song came out. <laughs> Which one, the, take my, the Berlin, Take, take my, my Breath, breath Away? away yeah. yeah. I, it, Top Gun, the movie I like, I don't, it's it's more of a nostalgia thing. Yeah, it's a nostalgia, yeah. Nostalgia. And I think that's, I'm kind of disappointed in a Top Gun, what would, I guess I'm prematurely disappointed in a 30 years later Top Gun I just don't think the culture is there for it anymore. I mean, what is it going to be about drones? <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Twenty bucks says Cody hasn't seen the first Top Gun. I have, I have, but not in not in a not in a very long time. It was a it was a favorite of the parents, so I've <laughs> I've, I've managed to squeeze it in at some point. I just don't. The, it, there's it a lot long. of stuff that's pretty legendary about it. The volleyball scene. All those scenes that you remember, they definitely put it in those. Now, sequel. I would like to talk just a little bit as we wrap up where do you think tom cruise is as far as being a bankable action star or movie star really because you know i was talking we were talking about this a little last night if you throw out mission impossible uh ghost protocol his last 100 million dollar starring role was in 2006 with mission impossible 3 so that's like valkyrie um lions for lambs night and day uh jack reacher oblivion all did not reach that mark. Um, and, and you know, I, I wonder where 
people are with Tom Cruise. And, and you know, oddly enough, it's in direct correlation with his jumping on the couch Oprah freak out. I but... don't think that's oddly enough. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. It's not hard to imagine people being turned off by it because it was strangeness. And it, it coincided with sort of the rise of internet gossip journalism. Because I, I don't think any of this was a big secret before. I mean, at least to the people that knew him. But now it became widely known. The the strangeness on Oprah, whether or not it's em, embellished in your mind or not, sticks with people. And I think that that was definitely a, a case against Tom Cruise. I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that that it was his downfall. But I mean, when I think of Tom Cruise, the first thing that isn't popping in my head is him jumping on the couch at Oprah. I think about Minority Reporter. And I don't think it's unfair to blame it on the passage of time either. I mean, the guy's yeah. not 30 years for a old while. anymore. Right. I think he's safe uh, to, to bring it back to your question. I think he's safe. I think he just needs to, I mean, Rock of Ages wasn't a good pick for him. Um, well, uh, Lions for Lambs was, I thought, a okay movie, but it wasn't a good pick for him in terms of trying to make money off of a box office. Um, but I think he still has some star power. I think there. Night and Day was probably, it was underrated, I think, a little bit. Yeah, it was just uh, I mean, generic. Was, I mean, even from the name to to the storyline. I just, that wasn't something, it wasn't a vehicle. I think that could have made a big difference in where he was trying to go. I think he needs to stick. I personally, again, I think he needs to find stuff that, you know, fit to his, uh, his star star, his talent as an actor uh, and not the, you know, big hundred million dollar movies. But if he wants to go for a big blockbuster, he needs to find something that is... had, had night and day come out 10 years earlier. You know, when Cameron Diaz was hot off of There's Something About Mary and and hotter in general. Maybe. And yeah, and Tom Cruise hadn't jumped on the couch. Yeah, it, that movie would have been the biggest movie right. of whatever year it was released. But also they tried to, they I mean, they keep on trying to give Tom Cruise franchises like Jack Reacher and it just kind of went nowhere. I don't think that that's his fault, though. I mean, I think anybody put in that position or in that role would have bombed out but did anybody really know what jack reacher exactly, was? exactly. I th- well yeah a little bit i mean it's a pretty popular book series i mean it's but... it's, it's an airport reading series and i think mm, yeah i don't i didn't even know what jack reacher was when i when that movie came and out. Uh, i think even fans of it weren't pleased because he's the stature exactly of Tom Cruise. and that's the only reason i knew that jack reacher was a big deal because when you saw that he was cast the internet just exploded with people being like well t- Tom, like Jack Reacher is supposed to be a really big, you know, bulking guy, and Tom Cruise is not. I, I think probably his apex of of fame now was Jerry Maguire. Yeah, Looking I think back, that's fair. Uh, I think the Mission Impossible movies are pretty great uh, for the most part, but I think I, don't, I don't, and it's been what eighteen years ago since Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of wonder why he hasn't really made many attempts at like going for an Oscar. He is stuck mostly in the in the um, in the zone of making big blockbusters. Well, I'd like a, a more down to earth sort of romantic comedy drama like Jerry Maguire. Yeah. There's something there's a vulnerability in that that you haven't really seen in a Tom Cruise performance since then. And I don't think it's him not wanting to do these smaller movies or these more intimate movies. It's just that I don't think they've really gotten to him yet. Or it has. Have- found him to do those kind of things it has been surprising that that people do not seek him out for i mean like it, i find it weird that that tom cruise has not been sought out after by an independent film director or a, a, someone on a smaller scale like will smith is one of the biggest movie stars in the world and even he will go off and do something like the pursuit of happiness 
and get critical acclaim and uh, and a, a lot of respect for it. I think that people, the studios still think Tom Cruise is going to be a huge action star, and I just don't know if that's the case anymore. I guess we'll see with Edge of Tomorrow what yeah. happens. I I wish though that he'd have some. I wish he'd go back to the the romantic comedy drama thing like Jerry Maguire. I, I mentioned that already, but I think that was. I think that's his sweet spot now. I think he's a little too old to be pulling off. These action oh, films. Oh, no, I don't think. Come on, Liam Neeson? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but the Liam Neeson's playing somebody's father, you know, in the film. He's playing the old... He, Liam well, Neeson is playing his age. Tom Cruise really isn't. Well, maybe he can get there. I mean, what, what is he, 50, 52, something like that? Tom yeah, Cruise? I mean, he's in his 50s. And, um, I mean, he, like I said, he still looks fantastic. But I think that... I think you said that I, enough, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, the audience knows he's aged. Well, and I think, too, that Tropic Thunder was supposed to be his big, like, hey, look at me, I'm... And I, I, I'm a down to earth type of guy. Exactly. That you can all, you know. And I just, I that that role is another overrated role for sure. Oh no, for I me. like that role. I, I think. I think t- Tropic Thunder is the only good things about Tropic Thunder are Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Cruise. I, the I, movie's I, average at best. I would, I would, I would even boil it down to Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. I, I think all he has to do is hook up with Steven Spielberg again, and people will go watch the movie. War of the Worlds didn't go over a hundred million. That was way before. That was before. That um, was 2005. Yeah. Oh, we were talking about after. We're talking about after Mission Impossible. Oh, 3. okay. And I, I, he can still get the hundred million dollar movie. I think he just has to pick a project that has some kind of backing. Well, there's no, there's no sure things. I think anymore with Tom Cruise. I'm other, calling other it now. Than, I'm calling it now. There's no sure things other than than the stuff that's you know Mission Impossible franchise is 18 years old. Yeah, and when even Edge of Tomorrow is critically acclaimed, people are loving it, and it's getting walloped by the Fault in Our Stars. Yeah, this but weekend. come on, look at the Fault in Our Stars. People are. Of course, going to go see that movie. But it's well, like, but that's a counter programming thing. Typically, you know, you've got the movie for the teen girls, and then you've got the movies for the boys and they battle and the it dads, out. and they battle it out. And Tom Edge of Tomorrow is losing. I don't know if it means that women are dragging their boyfriends along to fault in our stars rather than letting them go see Edge of Tomorrow. I don't even know. Does the movies even movies even work like that anymore? Do you go separately from your wife for your girlfriend? I don't know. I. I've never done that. I've never I go been to like, the movies all the time by myself, so I don't... I'm that's really sure. sad. I know. I'm sorry. No wonder I was crying last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the movie at all. It was just the loneliness. <laughs> yeah. Why isn't anybody here holding my hand? All right, so let's let's wrap up this Tom Cruise We really stuff. talked a lot about Tom Cruise. I think you have a man crush on him, Jared. I think it's an interesting subject. We're talking about a guy whose career we're wondering, like, is he falling off from being a major movie star, or is he still a viable action hero. You know, this far into his career, what are we, like 32 years since Risky Business? So, I mean, this guy has been a movie star for for longer than, for I mean, for as, as most of our lives, if not all of our lives, in Cody's case. Yeah, more, than, yeah. more than all of my life. <laughs> I'm going to make a prediction and say he's going to win an Oscar before all is said and done. Commit to a year. <laughs> yeah, okay. And the next year, I mean, what does he have next? Is, um... I mean, his next his next movies on IMDb are Mission Impossible Five, Top Gun Two, Jack Reacher Two. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So... See, he's not go- he's not going for the Oscar. Um... I don't think he's going to win one. I think there'll be. I think in, at some point he'll take a small role in a, in a, like a big ensemble piece and just blow somebody away with his supporting role. If it, I mean, I'll change my answer. If it's going to happen, it's not going to happen while he is still making action movies. It's going to be when he's an older guy in his yeah. 60s or 70s and taking, you know, stepping outside of that. Although I guess 
Liam Neeson has to be in his 60s, right, at this point? And, and I mean, Schwarzenegger and Stallone are still making action movies in their but 60s. Liam Neeson, was, that, was total, that was a total accident. It was. <laughs> I mean, Taken was a, was a garbage Luke Besson movie that became a smash hit, and now they, Liam Neeson has been seeking to replicate that with every single movie. And I guess Unapologetically, it, too, by the way. Hey, you know what? It's Whatever working, pays it's the working, bills. right? Yeah. Anyway, so let's wrap up our Tom Cruise talk and get to what we got next week. A sequel to one of my favorite comedies in the last 10 years, 22 Jump Street. I'm really looking forward to this. As am I. Uh, the, the directors, uh, Phil Lord, Chris Miller, to me have done no wrong yet in their career. Uh, the Lego movie was a... Uh, they're the guys that can, that can turn what is unfilmable into great films. And I hope they don't, they don't have a misstep anytime soon, but... Yeah, uh, that's absolutely true. And I love, I think maybe more so than than the Lego movie is Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I love that movie as an animated film. Yeah, I like Cloudy uh, with a Chance of Meatballs uh, better than Lego movie, actually. It's just... But yeah. they're both good. They're both good movies. Yeah, they're both good. But yeah, I mean, not, not to... I mean, again, I mean, they haven't really made anything yet. So to say that they... They have a misstep. There's not really a lot of steps in there. You do that a lot where you take away credit from people who only have made like three or four movies and you say, oh, they haven't done anything yet. What has what what Phil Lord done? Meatballs, Jump Street, and that's it. That's it but and Lego. Lego movie is this, I mean, it's a huge hit. I, but I'm saying you're, you're going back to like, oh, they haven't made a bad movie. They've no, made I said three. I hope they don't have a right, misstep. Right, no, I'm saying, but I'm saying the way that both of y'all put it is like they, they have this career where they just haven't made a bad movie before. Okay, they haven't. That, that's exactly right. They <laughs> <But> haven't. <laughs> name a director that had three huge hits their first their first three releases. Three huge hits like in terms of box office hits? I don't know. I mean, Critical I and think... box office hits because I think, I think their first three are, are pretty unassailable on all three accounts. Yeah, Cloudy was a little low Rotten Tomatoes wise but it was... Yeah, I, don't, I mean I'd have to go back. I'm sure there are three Okay, would you call, it after, let's say, after Magnolia, what did you think of Paul Thomas Anderson? Oh, this is a worthless <laughs> question to ask. Magnolia no, that's, was a bad, that's a bad example, because I'm, 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 I'm... Okay, but like this, we have, we have Bennett Miller, who has made Capote and Moneyball, two amazing movies. Right. Would you say that he is an unproven director? <laughs> I think that, I don't know. You're right. I mean, that's a good example right there. Ding. That's a point. We need a sound effect for for the like we, 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 one of us wins an argument, <laughs> or when one of one of us loses, we should get the um, the fail horn the from Price, Price is Right. right. Loser horn. <laughs> All right, that wraps up our show for this week. Don't forget to rate this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, and don't forget to visit our website cinesnob.net. You can read written reviews of the things we've talked about. Kigo, you got an interview with Charo that just hit. <laughs> coochie, coochie. Hot off the presses too, right? Coochie, coochie, coochie. Heck yeah. Shadow's my uh, childhood crush. Her, her <laughs> along with Elvira. Wow. <laughs> A little Freudian uh, <laughs> things going on. All right. Uh, I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.